people get so hung up on perfection that it stops them from making work. When you stop making work, you stop growing, you stop learning new things, you stop picking up new tools, you stop stumbling on new perspectives or new approaches or new solutions to the first thing. We have to let go of perfection because it stops us from doing anything. And I think we can all relate to that. You know, it's like you spend 30 minutes picking out like the perfect outfit for an event and then you get there late. What is and what is not true? Those who know themselves be a better every single day. Well, good day to you and welcome to another episode of the Think Grow Podcast, where personal development meets real life. I, I don't know why I said that so cheesily. I'm your host, Ruben Chavez. This is the Think Grow Podcast. I explore a variety of topics with thought leaders, creators, entrepreneurs, scientists, researchers, all sorts of interesting people, anyone that will agree to talk to me <laughs> in an effort to bring you different perspectives you can use to enrich your mind and improve your life in whatever way you see fit. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Adam J. Kurtz, otherwise known as Adam J.K. on Instagram and elsewhere. He's a graphic designer, an artist, author, and illustrator, or as he says in his Instagram bio, kind of just whatever they let me do. (laughs) If you relate to this sentiment at all, I think you'll love this episode because what he does is quite fluid and um, and we, we get into that and, and talk about why that is and how that manifests in his work. But his work is rooted in honesty and he, I got this quote from his website. He says that his work embraces the world with backhanded optimism and a dark sense of humor, which is intensely accurate. Uh, if you've ever seen his page or any of his art, you'll... You'll know what I mean. Check out his page. It's Adam JK on Instagram. Um, his work has been featured in the Huffington Post, in Fast Company, Design Sponge, Ad Week, and many other places. And some of his clients include Urban Outfitters, American Express, L'Oreal, and a bunch of other impressive brands. Something I love about Adam is his raw honesty and just his ability to be vulnerable. He's He's not afraid to poke fun at himself and just speak bluntly about what he's been through, his journey, his failures, his successes, everything. And he's also quite funny. Um, he has a talk on YouTube called Perfect Isn't Better. And he's speaking at the 99U conference. And I recommend searching that talk and checking it out because it's it's like part stand-up, part memoir, part creative inspiration. It's just really good. And um, if you like this episode, you'll definitely like that talk. But something that I also think is really interesting and, and admirable about Adam is that he's really very good at, or at least seems to be very good at, not overthinking things. So I wanted to have him on the podcast to talk to him about that and also kind of secretly in hopes that that energy would kind of somehow rub off on me. Whether or not that actually happened remains to be seen, so I'll keep you updated on that. One of the main themes that we cover throughout this podcast in different ways is kind of the idea of overcoming perfectionism. And 
So in that vein, we talk about the psychology of creating art or really any kind of content on the internet. And we also get into other related topics like balancing art and commerce and kind of towing that line. We also get into Adam's personal philosophy of how he works and how he approaches art and his kind of mindset when it comes to creating things. So I think you'll find all that very useful, um, very practical, and also very inspiring, as I did. So like I said, if you are a creative entrepreneur or just someone who creates anything on the internet, this episode is for you. So please enjoy this talk with Adam J. Kurtz. Adam, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm super stoked to be on your podcast. Fun. Well, okay. So the, the first thing that, that I want to ask you about, like the first thing that actually um, kind of attracted me to your work, I, I would say, and just your personality as a whole is your Instagram bio. Because when I first read it, I, I just burst out laughing because it was so relatable to, to me. And I'm sure like many other creatives, and it's like, it was like, you know, I'm Adam JK, artist, author, um, designer, brand, speaker, kind of just whatever they let me do. And you had that in your bio. I think you still have it. And I'm like, damn, that's, um, that's exactly like how I feel, like whatever they let me do. And I think a lot of people in this new, as they call it, gig economy and, and, and other things, they're, they're kind of just doing whatever the internet lets them do. What, what is it that, that, that you do and just kind of what's your background? Uh, yeah, I mean, that is like the most honest way I could present myself. And especially for Instagram, it's like people want to know in two seconds and that's it. So I'm an artist and author, um, but I have a graphic design background and that's really where I came from was learning the tools to make things and then making them for myself. Um, I was briefly in advertising at a studio called Barton F. Graph. Uh, I worked for BuzzFeed for like six months, but for the last four years, I've just been doing my own thing. And so that's publishing books with uh, Penguin and Abrams. It's self-published work. It's a line of gift products. It's public speaking in design conferences, but now even branching out to just broader creativity conferences and other just like spaces. Um, and it really all boils down to just being an open and honest creative person who is, I think, just generally like not afraid to to talk about all parts of it. And so it's not just the good, uh, but it's also not focusing on the bad. It's like being an artist is hard, period. Have you always been like that? Because you are very open, like in your work and you're you're very honest. I think that's a a value in your work and, and a common thread throughout all of your work is that you're, you're very honest. And so I mean, is that just kind of part of who you are? Or is that something that like you've actually cultivated through your art? I think I'm always kind of just myself. Um, you know, for a time, maybe I was trying to project a cooler version of me. So I'm 30 now and you can only imagine late teens, early twenties, you're sort of like sifting through your whole identity and trying to figure out how to be that person that people like, or you want to be cool or you want to be popular. And what I eventually realized was that like, nobody was buying that. You know what I mean? Like our friends like us for who we are. They can see right through the shit. And, uh, and that really extended to all of what I was doing online too, was like, I was, you know, before I was a published author, before I was maybe 
you know, before I was someone that people look to on Instagram uh, for inspiration and humor, I was just like an idiot tweeting garbage about my daily life. And now my creative work is an extension of that. And so it's an extension of who I am as a person, but also an extension of how I communicate my experience as I live life. And that's why the work has grown is because I've grown and my life has changed. You have a really um, unique way of, of, I think, just taking people on kind of your own journey and being okay with being with showing people different stages of your life. And actually, I liked something that you that you said, like it was at a talk that that I was watching on YouTube, uh, may have been at the Pratt Institute or something, but you you were saying something like, you know, obviously like own your voice, like be who you are, like say what it is you want to say. And, and you said, acknowledge, you acknowledge that that's hard, even when you like, especially when you don't know who you are. But the twist there is like, that can also be who you are, like not knowing who you are and own that. And I thought that was really interesting. Totally. I mean, that's like, that is your truth. And it's okay if your truth is, I don't know what my truth is yet, right? It's, we are not, we don't emerge from the womb fully formed. And really the, the process of growing and creative growth and learning, that doesn't actually end. And so I'm actually really suspicious of anyone who's like, hey, I'm the expert. Here's how to be like me because I know what I'm like. You know what I mean? I've got three published books on creativity and I would be the first person to tell you that I'm a fucking idiot. So anytime someone's like, hey, I wrote the book on how to be perfect, I'm just like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you wrote the book, but it's not real. Right. Uh, and if that's not real, then then how do I, you know, how do I trust you? So I think in general, you got to take everything with a grain of salt because none of us really know 100% what we're doing 100% of the time. I think you, if I'm not mistaken, you have a hat with a similar slogan on it. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I have a hat that I made. It says, uh, I literally do not know what I'm doing. And I made that really for myself as a quick joke, but uh, I put it up for sale and people buy that hat. It's my most popular hat. So I think it's, I think it's relatable. I think I saw a video. I don't know if it was like on your story or somewhere else of someone who like was videoing you on the subway train in, in New York, like wearing the hat, like kind of undercover videoing you. Someone posted that and then their friend told them it was me and then sent it to me. And I, I saved the video. And then I put that in my like recap of like the top 10 things that happened to me in 2018. Because truly it was so funny to be just seen. Like, here's some guy on the train. That's so funny. And then I'm like, well, welcome to my life. Like you asked for it. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the things that have blown up, um, that you've created ha have come from um, not trying very hard. Um, and I mean that in, in a positive sense, like these things that you didn't mean to really put out there as some big grand project, right? They just kind of blew up like this one, uh, this, this Tumblr meme that you put on a shirt, like the other, uh, it's like bottled, it's like a picture of a bottle and then the word feelings on it. Like these kind of things are so simple and that you kind of made for yourself ended up blowing up. And, and I think that's really interesting because a lot of the time artists and any creatives, even entrepreneurs, like we're, you know, often trying to make this big grand project and like perfect every fucking thing of every detail of, of our, of our, um, 
work that we're putting out there. And I think you have a different approach. And I'd like to hear you know, your thoughts on that. I think what you're saying is, is both correct and incorrect. So I'll correct you and say, I, I work really fucking hard. And I think everyone who's listening can relate to that. We all work really hard. But I think what's important to remember is that everyone's working really hard, right? And you said it, it's like, we are all constantly like, okay, attention followers, like, listen to me today. I'm so excited to announce my blah, blah, blah. And it's like, every day, 100,000 people are so excited to announce their whatever. And so we're all excited. We're all announcing tons of fully formed or half formed projects all the time. It's really nice and, and liberating to take a step back and be like, hey, I'm a person who makes three to 10 things every single week. And that's way too much for anyone to keep up with. And then two years after I make something, it might catch on. I think we kind of also understand that with the way that memes work on the internet, with the way that the trend cycles go and like online media, it's like things aren't actually linear. And so the day you launch something is not necessarily the day it blows up. And I've just really embraced that. I've really embraced the not knowing. I've really embraced letting go of the idea that I'm somehow like a smart expert. And so I just make stuff that I like and I throw it online or I share it in whatever way. And it's not always a whole project. Sometimes it's literally a sketch that, that I did two minutes before posting. And, uh, and whatever happens next is, is whatever is going to happen. I think just realizing that we don't have that much control over how things are digested and also which things work. Um, and you can be a total professional. You can be at the top of your game in your industry And then the thing that people know you for is like a fun thing you did on the side that you're a total amateur at. And so that's been my experience. And it's taught me to to let go of the control and let go of what I think is perfect and just kind of let things be. Yeah, yeah, that's important. And I mean, just to clarify, I I, I definitely didn't mean that like you don't. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't get to drag you on your own podcast. No, 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 not at all. I didn't feel like that at all. I just wanted to pose the 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 uh, question or comment a little clearer like yes like i didn't mean to say that you, you you don't try or that you're not putting in effort like we're all like trying our hardest you know but i think it's very interesting or at least we should be trying our hardest but i think it's very interesting because it, in my own in my own um craft art slash business like i've found that some of the blog posts or posts that, that i've taken i mean painstaking amount of time on to just perfect every nook and cranny um, have typically like by, by and large, not performed as well as some of the, the ones that I'm just like, Oh, this is kind of a fun thing that I think is really amusing. And I'm just going to put it out there and it takes me five seconds, you know? And I'm like, damn, what is that? I just, I'm, I'm always kind of looking out for different patterns, you know, and in, in, that's kind of how I think. And that's, you know, that's what I talk about on my Instagram and things like different kind of timeless principles and these kinds of things. And it seems like that's something, you know, there's something there. And I think you point to it a little bit with your philosophy when you say like, nothing, like, what did you say? Like nothing really matters. And it, it's something like that, you know, like nobody cares that much. So just produce shit. Yeah, that's like a nice way to boil down a lot of my thinking is that there's just so much out there and a lot of it is so good, but then a lot of it's terrible, right? Like some of the most popular things that we love in culture are are just objectively not that good. You know what I mean? So you start to realize that, that perfection isn't really the secret sauce. 
and and quality isn't always the secret sauce. Like we actually love bad things. You know what I mean? Like major media outlets are churning out memes on social media because that's what people are connecting with. And so sometimes when it's too perfect, uh, we don't trust it. That's, I think that's a huge, huge thing to remember is that sometimes perfection isn't the way to connect with people because when it loses its human touch and when the voice gets buried in you know flawless aesthetics and flawless execution and whatever content rollout method we're doing, whatever kernel of truth that was at one point in there gets, gets completely buried. And then you're just, you're a product, you're an advertisement, you're a faceless brand. You know what I mean? You get lost in the chatter. Um, and it's not my job to be the New York times. You know what I mean? Like I am sort of like a micro media outlet. I think all of us with Instagram accounts kind of are right. We're making content, we're sharing it every day or every other day, but it's not our job to be perfect. People, people can get a newspaper subscription or people can get a Netflix subscription if they want finely crafted, you know, media content. So as soon as we let go of the fact that it's actually not our job to be perfect and we can just do our thing everything just gets easier and more honest and more true. And in my experience, it tends to work better. Yeah, it is interesting because it's like, we do like the unpolished versions of things. It's like when I, um, you know, there's songs that the artist does that I love that are just kind of like almost like a jam session or like just the, the raw uncut version that kind of leaked. And then there's like the polished radio version. And I'm like, oh, the radio version is trash. Like I love the uncut version or the, the raw version, you know, and and it is true. Like w- w- some of the most popular memes are like these unpolished, super grainy, like just horribly aesthetic memes, but they get so popular. Sometimes that's why art works, right? Sometimes when you can feel that person's emotional response in the work, that's what makes it work. And so when you get that, like the demo version of a song or like the live version from the first time they played it, that's when it was really like it's most true. And that's not to say that the rough draft is better. I mean, my own books, like the rough draft wasn't always better. But sometimes something in its purest form is just so right. And it's so guttural and so human And particularly when we're talking about art and creativity, it's like, these are intangible things, right? And this is, I define art as a sort of someone feels something and then makes work that evokes that emotion in others. And so the, the more raw it is, the closer to the feeling we are. And, uh, and that's that magic secret sauce thing that you actually can't replicate over and over. It's that guttural release that like a person put this out in the world and you're so close to that moment. And, you know, this starts sounding, the longer I say this, the more I'm like, wait, is this bullshit? But like, I really believe this. And I think this is like a core theme in my work is some of my most popular stuff was just like the quickest, purest, first execution, just like pencil on paper. It's super rough. Like you got the texture in the handwriting and and my work looks like that now. Like the visual language of my work is super rough and super transparent with materials. It's it's pencil on paper, it's torn paper scraps, it's super lo-fi because that makes it feel as real as it was when, you know, when I birthed it. So so for people who like have a problem with perfectionism, for people who really want to like tweak every every damn thing, like what's some general advice you can give them? Because I, I honestly, I fall into that camp. 
um, a lot of the time. I'm getting much better and I'm, I'm yeah, totally. Yeah. So what would you say? Like, what are some of the things you do? I think it's probably a little bit natural for you, but like, you know, have a beginner's mind here. What do you, what would you say? Okay. So this is actually perfect. There is a page for my book that I want to read and uh, things are what you make of them is a super short book. It's handwritten. And so all this advice is like, again, that guttural human thing, but there's this, there's this page, um, you will hate your work. And I think this is like, so immediately graspable, even if you're like, just at like day one of letting go of all your perfectionism. So it's, you will hate your work. Do you ever lie awake at night agonizing over shit you did years before? Similarly, you will look back at previous work and cringe. Respect your growth process and recognize that as you learn what was once your absolute best will feel amateur, you will find new approaches to old problems and that's something to be proud of. And what I'm basically saying is even your most perfect work today is going to be crap in five years. You know what I mean? It's like the number one reason to let go of perfection is that perfection also changes and there's no way to ever be perfect because you will constantly be learning and constantly be getting better. And if that isn't a logical, a logical reason to let go of perfection, I don't know what is it's perfect. Doesn't even really exist. And, uh, you know, for me, for me, I've sort of known these things without knowing how I know them. You know, a lot of this has just grown, um, as I've grown and become second nature. And so the, this book, Things Are What You Make of Them, Life Advice for Creatives, was me sitting down and trying to dissect my own process and be like, hey, how come this is working? Like, hey, how come this first book that I made a, a journal called One Page at a Time, and it sold like, you know, I've sold like a half million books worldwide. It's in 17 languages, but the book isn't that great. You know what I mean? This the journal. It's a journal, so it's like half empty, and the handwriting is sloppy and you know, there's pages where I drew or wrote in like 20 seconds. Um, I'm holding it right now. I'm looking at this book too. And I, I've had to take a step back and be like, why do people like this? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I get why it deserves to exist, but for it to exist in 17 languages, like, am I a genius? Obviously not. How do I process all this? So things are what you make of them, which came out just over a year ago. That was me being like, full stop. What am I doing? Why is it working? What do people like? And and that was really me kind of doing that soul searching as a person, but also as a professional, maybe for the first time, is is what am I doing and why is it good? And how can I replicate that? Yeah, I, I, I lo- love the book. And it, it is, you do get the feeling that you're kind of, you're speaking to yourself almost and you're kind of like giving... Some of the best advice, I think, is when we're giving, when we're speaking to ourselves, you know, and giving ourselves reminders and kind of just discovering our own life philosophy. And you've kind of articulated your creative philosophy in a really succinct, but also very clear way. So I love that book. Thank you. I think that was, that was really the goal was like me to process my own existence and not to say this is the way, not to say this is an expert book. And, you know, it's like people might have this book on the shelf with some of their other books by industry leaders or respected creatives. But but even in the book, like at the very end, I say, hey, I'm not an expert. Hey, this advice is subjective. Like, hey, this might be wrong. This might not work for you. Like, this is just a book and I'm just a guy. And I think that's the most important thing to remember is that we're all actually on our own journey. And so even though I've really dissected what it is that I do, 
and figure out how to live within my own world and and be myself, but also be myself in a way that can help others. It's still, it's, I mean, maybe, maybe 10%, 20% of people in the world think in a similar way than I do. There's still so many people who are going to see this and be like, no, it's not for me. It's ugly. It's imperfect. Uh, it's too colorful. You know, I don't respect this guy enough. Like he doesn't wear a suit. You know what I mean? It's like, everything is just everything. And there's so much out there. And so even though I think I landed on like my exact philosophy and have found a way to, to share it with others, even, you know, having this published book and have it translate and having it sold and getting pre- like, even all those good things, I'm still the first person to tell you like, PS, you might hate it. And it might not, it might not ring true for you. And, uh, you know, that goes back to what we we're saying before. It's like, perfection just doesn't exist. It's just not possible to tap into something that is 100% universal because we're all really different. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's a good point. And it's something that I, I, I learned along the way too. I mean, uh, to add to your point of, uh, about perfectionism, to, to add another logical point, I, w- I would say another lar- logical argument against being perfectionistic, like I've, looked up Amazon reviews for books that I hold near and dear that I think are near perfect books, you know, and there's always a one star review of the book. I'm like, how, how is this possible? And so, but you can do that with anything you like, like pick whatever you think is the best book or the best product or whatever it is, go on Amazon, look at the one star reviews and you'll be like, ah, damn, you just cannot please everybody. And that, that to me is a little bit comforting. It's so comforting. And it's not even like books or or creative products. It's like some people hate mangoes. And I think those people are fucking insane because mangoes are amazing. I love mangoes. But that is my favorite fruit, in fact. Mangoes and figs, I would say. See, and I think figs are so boring and weird. So we're already <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You just can never please everyone. And that's the ultimate reason to let go of trying to please everyone. Because you can sit down and workshop your project until it's as close to perfect as you think you can get. Someone is still going to write it off in two seconds. And with all that time you spent making that thing perfect, you could have made three things. You know what I mean? People get so hung up on perfection that it stops them from making work. And when you stop making work, you stop growing, you stop learning new things, you stop picking up new tools, you stop stumbling on new perspectives or new approaches or new solutions to the first thing. I think we have to let go of perfection because it stops us from doing anything. And and I think we can all relate to that. You know, it's like, you spend 30 minutes picking out like the perfect outfit for an event, and then you sh- you get there late. You know what I mean? Or you you put a ton of like hair gel in your hair and then you're like, oh God, and you like quickly have to wash it out in the sink and start from scratch. It's like, we we do this stuff all the time and it, it totally applies to our work too. I think we we sometimes get so caught up in being creative professionals or entrepreneurs or like whatever. We get so caught up in being the thing that we want to be that we forget that we're also just like human people who are are flawed and and have just like very basic human problems. And uh, I think for me, my work has always come from this place of like, I'm a graphic designer, but I'm also a human. And and not forgetting that in the process has been a really important part of the process is, is like step one, I'm a person. So like, I'm a little bit afraid of a blank page. You know, it's hard for me to write when I have an open blank document. Like, that's why I made two journals is 
is people have trouble starting when there's nothing there yet. Sometimes a little structure helps or, you know, letting go of perfection because of this or, or, Hey, I don't have a lot of money for a fancy digital tablet. I'm just going to use whatever shitty pencil I have around. And then, oops, I just wrote two books entirely in pencil. Like we just have to let go of all those hangups. And we have to remember that like, we're just who we are. We have what we have. Everyone's different. You don't get everything. Now, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with the tools that you have? What are you going to do with the skill set that you have? What are you going to do with the age you are and the place you live and the resources at your disposal? Um, And then you just got to go do something. I want to take a brief moment to talk about one of our sponsors for this show, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 25,000 classes in pretty much any field you can think of. Writing, photography, uh, cooking, even social media marketing, just to name a few. One of the many reasons that I love and promote Skillshare is because their core values of learning and growing are very much in alignment with my own and I'm sure if you're listening to this with yours too. I'll tell you about one of my favorite classes that I've ever taken with Skillshare. It was a productivity masterclass and it was all about creating systems in your life and business. And it was taught by this pretty well-known YouTuber and it completely changed how Vanessa and I run our business. It helped give us our time back by helping us to create systems that streamlined and organized our content creation and our editorial calendar for Fingerl Prosper. Massively, massively helpful. And here's the cool news. Right now, Skillshare is offering listeners of the Think Grow podcast two months free so you can try it out for yourself. Go to Skillshare.com slash thinkgrow. You'll get unlimited access to 25,000 classes for a full two months at no cost. So it's basically a risk-free situation here. The specific URL that you want to visit for this offer is Skillshare.com slash thinkgrow. Check it out. Join the millions of other students who are learning and growing with Skillshare. I've used it for a while. I love it. I think you will too. Again, that URL is Skillshare.com slash thinkgrow. And now, back to the show. A lot of the advice you give is, is very simple. And I, I know you don't like to be known as someone who like just gives advice, but I mean, ultimately, it's, it, it is helpful. And I think it is advice. But the, like one of the things you say is like figure out what you want to say and say it. And I, I think that's so useful because we get confused. It's like, what am I doing? Like we're trying to be too complicated. We're trying to be too complex, too nuanced, like too fancy and figure out what you have to say and then say it. I saw um, the, a star is born recently. And I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's with uh, Bradley Cooper. I'm gay. So I definitely <laughs> saw it. <laughs> and so I saw it in a press preview. I saw that shit. Early. Oh man. I've been listening to that soundtrack. It's a great movie, but in that movie, you, you remember, I'm sure. When he's that's kind of what um, I think Bradley Cooper's character um, tells Lady Gaga's character. And she's like, just the po- most important thing is having something to say. Like a lot of people have to have talent. A lot of people can can do stuff, but having something to say and saying it in a way that resonates with people that that's where the magic is. I I think that too, and I you know I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, and this is an opinion, you know, it's like important to preface as like, this is my personal opinion and is not true for everyone. But to me, 
you know, there are some people who know what they're saying. And then there are some people who are just very, very technically skilled. And that's two different things. And so I was thinking about this because I saw this artist who does photorealistic paintings where the painting is flawless. I mean, just flawless. It looks exactly like a photograph. And, you know, they do portraits of people, they do still lifes, whatever, highly realistic paintings that take hours and, and weeks, maybe months to complete. And I'm just looking at this painting and I'm like, I understand that this took a lot of skill, but like you could evoke the same thing in me with a photograph. You know what I mean? Like you could get your iPhone out, take a picture of that sunset, text me the photo. And so I recognize that it is important. I recognize that that process is so meaningful and powerful, but on my own personal level and my own, the, the ways that I enjoy and digest art and, and creative work, I'm a little bit like, okay, so what? And maybe that's because I'm lazy. Maybe the way I digest work is I want it to be more literal. I want to see the moving parts. I want to feel what you felt. Uh, you know, maybe if I got up close to that painting and saw the strokes, it would mean more to me. But I'm a little bit like, if it's too perfect, I can't find myself in it. And if I can't have that connection, then the magic is gone. Um, and so that's something that I've been thinking about too, is like, you know, sometimes I sit here and I'm in my studio and sometimes I sit here and I'm like, okay, like this is how I would do it. But imagine if I did some other thing, imagine if I, you know, used some other skill set or some other tools. And then I'm just like, well, that, that would take me out of it. And then it's not my work anymore. And so I don't know, just something that I've been kicking around in my head lately is this, not only is, do I think perfection is not important? Sometimes I think perfection is detrimental. Um, and again, that's not true for everything, but, but sort of how I've been feeling. I think that kind of speaks to your definition of art too, which is that it's, it's basically like you have an emotion and you create something that helps other people feel that emotion. So I, I think your definition of art is very, well, it's obviously very emotionally centric, but can you, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Like your, how you define art and what you see as art? Totally. Yeah. I think this took me a long time to arrive at, right? Cause art is a scary word and like, people really spend a lot of time not accepting the label of artist. You know, you'll see someone who you think is totally an artist and you'll call them an artist and they're like, well, actually I'm much more of a fine art typographer. And I'm just like, uh, okay, sure. That, that may also be technically true. I think that art is, is when you feel something and then you create work that can evoke emotion in others. And so it might be a direct reflection or a magnification of an experience, but it could also be in response to an experience. And I think, you know, for example, like I had a, you know, not, this isn't a personal example, but you know, art could be, I had a dream about a thing and then I drew the thing or, you know, I had a difficult experience and then I wrote a poem based on that experience. Like we, we understand those examples as being art. And so that's really what my definition is, is, is that art is the product of that experience, whether again, whether it's a direct, literal sort of reflection, or 10 years later, you process an experience and realize that actually something that seemed cool in the moment was deeply traumatizing. And now you're, you're unpacking that and, and recontextualizing what that was and how you felt. And it's not always going to literally evoke the same emotion that you felt in someone else. It's not always going to be that direct transaction of, I felt scared, now you feel scared, um, or I felt scared, or, or I felt powerful, now you feel, feel powerful. Sometimes it 
it will evoke some other emotion, but uh, at its core, I think that's what art is. And that definition is super broad. And, uh, and so I think a lot of things are art, you know what I mean? I think, is, is this podcast art? It might be. Yeah. I think a lot of people consider it, consider it art. Um, it, I, cause it, it is the, the line does get blurred. Like where do you draw the line between art and just, I don't know, content or just something else, you know? But I, I think emotions... It's hard to know. I mean... Yeah, I, I, think, I think emotions are, are, are a good line to, to, to... Or a good indicator to use um, and, and experience. But I don't know. What are your thoughts there? I mean, I think we, you know, from a young age are sort of... Or, or maybe this is just my experience. You know, when I was young, I thought art was like in a museum, right? Art is like on a wall. And so, you know, in the earlier parts of my career, a lot of what I was doing was making these like novelty gift products... Um, and now it's like totally normal for like anyone with a social media following to have an online shop. That's like what you do. But I actually had this online shop before I had a following where my version of art wasn't making a painting that costs a hundred thousand dollars that one person owns. It was making a keychain or, or a pencil with a custom phrase on it and a thousand exist and it costs $2. And uh, so I've been been doing that this whole time. And it really forced me to think about what do I consider this? You know, one person considers this like a dollar store souvenir. I consider this art. I don't know if it's fine art, but maybe it is. And so I had this experience um, a year and a half ago where I've made this feelings jar. And I, I should backtrack. And you mentioned it earlier. One of my most popular things is just a drawing of a little jar that says feelings and it's pretty, it's pretty literal and immediately evocative. It's like, who hasn't bottled up their feelings before? But I, I love when things are literal. And so I made these literal ceramic mason jars with the feelings art on them. Uh, and I worked with a dishware company called Fishizetti and made these jars. And so all of a sudden, the drawing is now a literal, real thing. It might be, you know, one person might call it a mug. Another person might call it a sculpture. Um, and then the Museum of Design in Atlanta installed 99 bottles of feelings on the wall, which is intrinsically funny to me. But all, all of a sudden, this thing that to me was always art and to other people was maybe just like a vase or a mug is now on the wall in a museum. So is it art now? And if it's art now, does that mean it's been art this whole time? You know, these are, you know, it's it's hard to be objective here. And so I think that's why I'm always prefacing everything with like, this is my opinion. This is my definition of art. But I view so many things as art because there's always, right? Like at some point in the process, a person was there, you know, like a, a, a not even a design on a mug, but like originally someone designed a mug, you know, is that is that art? I don't know. Yeah, it's an important, it's actually an important distinction for for me to maintain my sanity also, especially when it comes to, like balancing art and commerce, for example, or art and business, because like, if I think, and I just recently had this, this realization, actually, like if I think that everything I'm producing is my art and is like so personal, then it's really difficult to run a business like that. And so something that I wanted to ask you about was like separating art and and business or art and commerce or or balancing art and commerce because you know I, recently I've I've just come to re- to the realization like okay yo I have I have a business and that business produces 
content that's, you know, inspirational, that's useful, that's practical, whatever. But I also like write and, and, and I write things that may not be useful sometimes. And that's okay because that's my art. But my business funds my art. So I have to also tend to my business. But how do you balance like, you know, art and commerce? I think that is like a really loaded question. But I also want to maybe recontextualize the way we're talking about art. So when I say that a lot of things are art, that doesn't mean that they're untouchable, right? When I say a lot of things are art, that doesn't mean they're good or cool or amazing or valuable. You know, I think there's a lot of art out there. It doesn't mean that it can't be touched. It can't be remixed. It can't be modified because your client doesn't love it. Like I, I try not to be too precious about things. And I think that also stems from being or landing in a place now where I try to be highly realistic, where it's like, life is actually pretty hard and uh, the world is big and right. Everyone, everyone is constantly announcing a new project that they're super excited about. It's like, you're right. We do have to put out content. We do have to be present. There is a pressure to fill a social media feed with, with daily um, content to keep our followers engaged, to keep sales coming in, to keep potential clients, you know, entertained and and occupied um, and interested, I should say. You know, so it is a difficult balance. And I think that that's something that kind of comes and goes in waves where, you know, you aren't going to love every single thing that you make, or you might love it the first time and then find yourself like reposting it six months later. And so, you know, in that moment, you know, you're the thing that was once art that you were so excited about is now kind of content. It's now kind of like, okay, time to post this thing. It's it's a weird balance. I have an example where I I drew this essentially a meme where I did this little doodle and I wrote Mercury retro Mercury's out of retrograde. Now everything's your fault again. And at the time that was so funny because I had been, you know, people put a lot of stock in astrology. I live in Brooklyn, like, you know, everyone here's got like three nose rings and astrology's their god. And that day it was hilarious to me and uh, it it went I don't know, went viral, but it was, it was really popular. It was reposted a lot. And now I feel like every single day that Mercury leaves retrograde, I have to post it again because I know people love it because it brings people new followers to me uh, because later it was redrawn and published in a postcard book. I have a, a book of tarot postcards called what I'm trying to say to you, which I love the postcard book, but I do feel now like all right, Mercury's out of retrograde. This is the most popular image in the book. I better post it to maybe sell more books. Like, yeah, it starts to feel gross. That is a really difficult thing that I struggle with because some days it feels gross and other days I'm like, damn, I made this fucking thing two years ago and I still love it and I'm happy to share it. So that's an ebb and a flow kind of a thing. And uh, it kind of depends on my mood. Like, am I, am I in a bad mood today? Do I kind of hate myself today where I'm sick of my work or sick of my voice? Like that all comes back to the question about like, do you allow yourself to be human in everything that you do? Do you allow yourself to have an off day or uh, a self-deprecating day? For me, I, I do allow myself those things because kind of don't have a choice. Like I get sad or, or I hate myself a little bit. There isn't really a way for me to stop it. So instead I just sort of anticipate it, honor that it's happening and then, you know, hope to get out of it quickly. I really relate to to you saying that it feels gross to repost things that are like old to you. 
And I've, I mean, that's just one of the most relatable things. And I think that like, not everyone can relate to that unless you're like an Instagram person or a person on the internet creating content. So it's a very funny thing. But I also think of the fact that when I do repost those things that are old to me and are played out to me, like inevitably there is someone who comments or messages me like, oh my God, like this is like who have seen it for the first time, you know? And it's like, oh my God, this is so helpful, so useful. Thank you so much. And I'm like, damn it. That means I have to repost it again because not everyone has seen this thing that I created. That speaks to the same thing we started talking about, which is like everyone's always doing everything. And so people really don't see our stuff. You know, sometimes I used to feel this pressure to post on Instagram every single day. And then I realized that like, people weren't noticing if I didn't post every day. And so now I post like two or three times a week and Instagram's algorithm shows my stuff maybe to half my followers, you know, if I'm lucky. And so those kind of reminders can help balance it back out where I'm like, okay, I know this is old, but for people who are just tuning in or who just missed it on whatever day, this has ability, this has the ability to make someone happy or to make someone laugh or, what a meme really is as a communication tool, right? This this gives someone something that they can text to their friend or, or share with their mom and, and lets them have like a, a fun moment around it. And, uh, and that's what brings me back ultimately is like, I love when people repost on their stories or they tag a friend and they're like, this is so you. And it reminds me like, okay, that's actually why we do what we do is we have the ability for very little cost to like put a tiny moment of joy in someone's life. And, uh, and that is so cool and, and such a like wonderful little human experience. It's just, and, th- and that's special. And that brings me back when I'm starting to feel like, Oh, everything's gross. I'm a corporation. <laughs> like I hate me. That's really funny. Um, yeah, you, you, uh, speaking of corporations, you posted on, I think your stories one time. I don't know if you remember, but I, I screenshotted this. It, it was like, I, I think you were, oh, I think you were maybe sending a letter to like a, like a pitch letter or something like that. And you were just kind of workshopping different, different drafts. And one of them was like, we'll accept corporate money in exchange for letting you co-opt a small portion of my identity. And I just thought that was one of, one of the funniest things I'd ever read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so me. I totally, totally would say that. Do you like what I do want to know more about like your attitude toward monetizing your art and, um, and, and, and things like that? You know, I used to be a lot more precious about it. Um, with my first book, one page at a time, I was so particular about the title, the subtitle, the way that I spelled certain things, certain formatting options. And then when we, when we were selling the foreign editions, you know, Penguin Penguin will resell your book as many times as they can because they make more money and so do you. And so the the letters or the letter, the emails would come in from the emails would come in from my editor and it would be like, hey, the Spanish affiliate loves this book, but they want to change the title to something totally different. And I remember in those moments being like, that's my fucking art. You can't change the title. And I had to be sort of reminded like, hey, Adam, you're not a bookseller in Spain, you don't know the market there. Like, please let these experts help you reach more people. And, you know, they they gave it a totally different title. And it's been really successful in Spain. 
they released it in three different colors and now they've released two more color editions because people are like doing this journal every year and it's this this lesson of like you can be really protective of what your art is and who you think you are and you can actually get it wrong right because nothing's perfect because we're going to keep changing and growing like i was talking about it's like i'm a different person now than i was four years ago when that happened and when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, everyone was right. And I was just like a stuck up, stubborn idiot. And that doesn't mean like roll over. It doesn't mean like go of your moral values. But I have really learned to trust other people doing their job and learned to understand that I'm not the expert and I'm not always the most important person involved. Maybe a more direct example is participating in like an advertising campaign. Last year, I was in... I was in a, a short film that was made by L'Oreal um, for for New York Pride. And so they had four LGBTQ artists from like a, a range of demographics and, and creative backgrounds. And they partnered us with, with L'Oreal employees and they made this beautiful little film where we collaborated on, on uh, signs for the parade. And then we marched in the parade. And it was like, I was a very small part of that. And I got to be myself in that but it wasn't about me. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the main feature that that is kind of a, a positive example of, of letting a brand borrow a little bit of who I am, right. Where they, they picked me because I'm in New York. They picked me because I'm, I'm openly and very visibly a queer person, but that didn't feel gross. You know what I mean? So there, there are always these like weird kind of lessons learned and these extensions of, of, of being who we are and, and people wanting to work with the art that we create and, uh, and that's really okay. You know, maybe I also have the benefit of a, a background in advertising where I'm like much more comfortable when a brand like American Express or Casper or, or Pepsi wants to do a sponsored post in my Instagram feed. I'm like, cool. I understand that there's like eight people on your team. And then there's like the people in the middle going between your team and the actual client. And, uh, and I'm just a piece of the puzzle here. You know, that's also like not everyone listening can necessarily relate to this, but maybe you can where that's that's a part of the game, too. And uh, and you just have to to learn how to take that step back and trust other people to know what they're doing. And and usually when you trust other people to know what they're doing, uh, it ends up working out great. Yeah. And, and I think um, a lot more people are getting on board, like a, a lot of non-creators are getting on board with the fact that their favorite content can only be produced if the people producing it get paid. And so, hey, support the sponsored posts, you know, like, and obviously it's, it's important that, that artists work with brands that are in alignment with who they are and, and, and their values, et cetera. But I like what you said. I think it was a, a, a post or something that was like, you know, real friends are those who support your sponsored posts. And I, I, th- I thought that was really um, clever and, and true, but it's like, yeah, like you, people complain about it sometimes, but man, if you like the content, like try produce, you try producing it for free for, for a year. Like it's not going to happen. You have to get paid at some point. So at some point something's got to give. And so it's very useful to, to work with brands. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you like someone, you know, for example, I'm, I'll just use you in this example. Like if, if you're a fan of, if someone's a fan of you, like they should trust that if you've done a sponsorship, it's because you knew what you were doing and you weighed the pros and cons of doing it. And you made sure that the project was right. You made sure that you were being compensated fairly. If it's reached the point where it's on your feed, 
Like everyone needs to just trust and believe that like you let that happen. Obviously you did, you pressed post and then be there for it because it doesn't cost you anything to, to sort of stand by while, while someone is posting an ad. And like with, with any TV show, it's like, we don't get mad at a TV show when we have to sit through the commercial break. We understand that, that it costs money. You got to pay the actors and the sets and the, the filmmakers. It's like, that's how things get made. And so it's, it's hard for me to understand why people get frustrated on that smaller level uh, because there are, there are already paid ads on Instagram. It's like, who, who do you think deserves the money more? Like Facebook Inc. Or, or me, like one idiot at home who's just like trying to make rent. Um, but I have to say in my personal experiences that people are really supportive of my sponsored posts. And, and when I do partnerships like that L'Oreal film or, or other things like that, because people people can clearly see that human thread throughout where, you know, I'm participating in someone else's concept, but I'm bringing myself and bringing my identity, whether it's through the art that they're having me produce, or if I'm speaking on camera and I'm just like clearly keeping it real. Like I, I'm really lucky that, that my followers and my, you know, fans of my work are, are really willing to like be there with me. And so I've gotten comments that are just like, you know, clapping emoji, like, yes, get that coin girl. And I'm like, thank you. I, I will get that coin and I will use it to fund all the other stuff I do. Like, for example, I'm on a podcast, right? Right now, right now, everyone listening at home, I'm currently on the podcast you're listening to and I'm using a microphone that I paid for. You know, it's like, where does that money come from? It, it comes from all the extensions of what I do so that I'm able to do a fun podcast. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. S- support the artists that, that you want to see, whose content you want to see more of. It's, it's very simple. And I think more people are getting on board with that. Like you said, TV is like the obvious example, but that's been around for much longer than social media. And so I think people are just, it's now being normalized, I think, in so- social media, which is which is helpful. I think it just comes from a place of transparency and, and realizing that that the people that you love on social media or the authors that you love, you know, in their books and books are just just remembering that people are people and that everything comes from a person or a team of people. Um, and even remembering that big corporations are made up of people. And, you know, I find myself reminding, uh, like when I speak to art students, for example, um, I speak at universities, I'm speaking to, you know, 16 to 24 year olds. And it's like, Hey, just remember that, that, that big company is made up of people who are kind of just like you. And, and one person in a big company can be the reason that you get hired for a gig. I did a sponsored post for T-Mobile and it was because one person on the agency side was a fan of my work. And she, I guess, mentioned my name in a meeting. You know what I mean? And it, I don't know how long it took or when she first mentioned me, but it, it came down to me doing uh, a sponsored gig and and it was well paid and it's like one person younger than me who's just a fan of my work made that happen and so just remembering that throughout everything throughout all types of creative work it's it's just flawed people <laughs> doing their best trying to make something good trying to help others along the way like that's that's all it is that's that's what life is it's not just about our our business it's like all of life is that it's people being people, doing what they can, trying to help others, and then they die. <laughs> it's a good way of conceptualizing it. Sorry, spoiler alert, you're all gonna <laughs> you're gonna die. It's like nothing matters. Make art. 
Right? It's like, ultimately, what are we doing here on this earth? It's like, we're just, we're just doing what we can. We're doing what we can with what we have. And it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to make us money. Sometimes we are going to do work. You know, the work that we do for money at a job isn't going to be necessarily what we love every single day. But, but ultimately, we're all just like, you just, you have to do what you can. Because uh, that's, that's what there is. Like, that's, that's what the world is. I love that. Adam, I, I know that we're, we're running short on time here, but I want to ask kind of one last question. And I'm a little little hesitant to ask because it seems a little Instagram-y um, in the sense that it's kind of a soundbite. But I'm curious what you have to say. Like if you could encapsulate kind of your philosophy or, or at least just one one piece of advice that you feel is the most important for young creatives today on the internet, what would you say? This is an important one. Um, And this is also straight out of my book. Um, So I'm going to read one bit from Things Are What You Make of Them. Failure actually is an option. Uh, Failure is totally an option. It's actually one of two main options in most scenarios. So instead of lying to yourself about the possibilities, choose instead to brace yourself for any outcome and be ready to learn from the experience. Your creative life is a journey and every step is moving you forward. So let go of your fear about not being perfect. Let go of your hangups about not having the best tools. Just do what you can. And if you fail, you fail. But, but failure is just research unless you never try again. So keep trying. Keep growing. It's going to be fine. Nothing matters. I love it. Adam, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. Hey, thanks for listening to the Think Grow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and find value in this podcast, I humbly ask you to please subscribe and or leave me a review on iTunes. Or you can just share it with a friend who you think might find value in it. If you've already done any of these, I want to take a moment to sincerely thank you. I truly, truly appreciate your support. Lastly, if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics you'd like to hear covered, you can email podcast at thinkgrowprosper.org.